Welcome to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. We exist to be a life-giving church in our community that helps people know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and go make a difference. Here you will find weekly sermons and teachings from our Sunday services. Let's dive into this week's message. And so would you do me a favor? Would you welcome my mother, Nancy Ruffner, to the stage? And relationships do matter, but with that being said, uh, I'm going to let you just share a little bit of kind of where you were going when we start talking about making dreams a reality and kind of where your mind was taking you and in your heart and, and explain kind of the setup. And I've thoroughly enjoyed being with y'all Friday and yesterday and the classes, the breakout sessions were wonderful. But I do want to clarify uh, what we're talking about here. Um, we're not talking about the streaming that goes on in your mind when you lay your head down at night, that sort of thing. We're talking about what God has placed on your heart. We're talking about your hopes, those kind of dreams. And uh, I would ask you, you know, in the sessions you've been asked, what are your dreams? And you even were given a piece of paper to write them down. I don't know how many of you did, but you were supposed to write your dreams down. And... I got to thinking, well, you know, there's, there's different kinds of dreams. You can classify them different ways. There's dreams that are materialistic. And I kind of foresee most of our younger people maybe going this route. You know, it's like, oh, I dream of the, big, the nice car that I want, you know, the fast car or whatever. Or young couples dream about the home they can buy. Uh, if it's in the right neighborhood, you know, those types of things, what I call materialistic dreams. And then there's uh, the kind of dreams that are eternal. And as you get through life and you kind of focus your life more on God and what he has in store, you see your dreams kind of change to an eternal sort uh, relationships, loved ones, do they know Jesus? Lord, if they would just come to, if they would just come to church, if they just come to know Him, or maybe it's health. You know, uh, I just need to be healed of this disease, or I need the answers to what's going on in my body, or marriage. I just, we just need a godly marriage. We need to repair things. You know. Those are some of the types of dreams that I suspect all of us have. And, you know, for me, there was a time I was just in survival mode for a while. And um, some of you may be like me. This was, we're going back in time, 1986, when I made the reality that I'm in survival mode. I need... Peace. I want peace in my life. I want to feel safe because I didn't have that at that time. And when we were talking and in and, and the first part, I was like, okay, yeah, mom, I kind of get it. I kind of get it. And then all of a sudden, it, it's like she shifted to a different gear. And, and she said, well, you know, in, in 1986, my, my dream was, was just to, to feel safe and have peace. And, and explain if you don't mind a little bit of why. Yeah, I have to give you a little background there. Um, interesting enough, you know, God plans things out. Um, 53 years ago today, 
February the 5th. I married my high school sweetheart. It's no coincidence that it was on February the 5th today, 53 years ago, and I'm up here talking about it, you know. Um, he wasn't a believer, but we were in love. You know, high school sweethearts, you know how you feel. And my parents did not approve. Grandchildren, you listen to this. My parents did not approve, but I loved him. He was, had joined the Air Force, was headed over to Hawaii for his three-and-a-half-year tour, and I wanted to go. I wanted to be with him, and you couldn't convince me that I couldn't do that. That um, regardless of what my parents said, um, I thought I could change him. He, I knew he wasn't a believer. I knew he had some ways. His home was not, I didn't know the extent of it, but his home life was not like mine growing up. And so we got married and moved 3,000 miles away from home. You know, that was, the early years are great because you're so poor, you can't, you know, you just have each other, and, you know, we're in Hawaii, for goodness sakes, you know, how bad can that be, right? Well, within six months, uh, my eyes were wide open. I knew then the difference in being raised in a golly home, being taught Christian values, and not. His ways were different. Um, I found myself compromising my faith. There was a stint where I didn't even go to church over there. Um, And then I came to a realization a few years into it that he had an addiction problem. That addiction... His uh, choice of drug, if you want to call it that, was alcohol preference, but there was, came to be other things involved. And as time progressed, that took a, a toll on him mentally, and I think um, he, his insecurities through that worsened. Um, I'm going to fast forward really quick through this because I could... We could be up here all day. Um, But through that process, as his addictions became worse and his insecurities became worse, you know, I was taking care of a family. Um, By this time, I had two boys, Mickey and his older brother, Thomas. And um, things became, things were not always safe at our house. Um, there was mental torment, if you will. Very jealous, very consuming, very controlling person. Um, and as the boys got older, they became more of a threat to that, I think. So as they became, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, that was more of a challenge, I think, to him. And I started seeing play become tears. Um, You know, we never knew what time of night he might come home. You hear the tires turn in the gravel driveway and you're instantly awake. Some of you may know what I'm talking about. You know, one, two o'clock in the morning, okay, what's tonight going to hold for us? That's why I was dreaming of peace and safety that December. It was December of 1986. 
I don't remember the crisis that led to that or the exact date, but boy, I remember that like it was yesterday. And, and when we were talking, you know, obviously I remember the same concept because I remember the things that, yeah, I, I can, I, I grew up during this time that every car that passed, I woke up. Because if he wasn't home, I was wondering, like, oh, is that going to be him? And when I say every car that's passed, where we lived on a place called Cook's Road, there was a curve that would, you would take, and then you would, we were about three houses down on the right, and, and, and when they made that curve, the lights would sweep through my bedroom, and I'd, I mean, I'd be dead asleep, and all of a sudden I'm awake, and I would just sit there going, is this him, is this him? And if it drove by, it was like, whew, and I'd go back to sleep. But when the, when the car did pull in, then it was this like, okay, now, I wonder, wonder what tonight's going to hold, you know, um, because you just never knew. You just never knew. But we want you to know that so that you'll understand when she's saying that her dream in 1986 was, was just to have safety, just to have peace, where that was coming from. But again, the topic is like, but how do you make your dreams a reality, right? But, but I wanted to share this because I think for some of us, it may not be that extreme, but I think a lot of us may be in a place that we're going, but how do I move forward from this? And that's where you mm-hmm. explained to me, and that's when all of a sudden it flipped, and I was like, okay, we're going to have to move mm-hmm. this to Sunday morning. Because you had said <laughs> there was a time in December of 1986 that you made a decision and something spoke to you and everything started mm-hmm. to change. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay. Understand that my desire through this time had been for a godly husband, a Christian father, someone who would be a role model for, for my sons. I was allowed to go to church on Sunday mornings. And I, after the bus ministry came knocking on my door, I said, no, I'm not going to put them on a bus. I'm going to take them. And so we, we started going to First Baptist then. Um, but that December, the crisis was God spoke to me and said, you need to give it up. You can't change him. You don't have control of anything that he does. All you have is control of yourself. And regardless of what stage of life you're in or what your dreams are, there are biblical truths that speak to how to make those dreams reality. The one that hit home for me is in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And it reads, are they going to put it on the board? Yeah, they'll be on the screen. Okay. It reads, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. I'm going to break that down for you. The The first step we have to take is trust. Now, I believe in Jesus. I believed in Jesus at that point. I had accepted him into my heart when I was nine years old. So I knew I was saved. There was no doubt about that. But believing is not necessarily trusting. There is a difference. We can believe in this chair. We see this chair exist. We can touch it. We can feel it. But trusting is actually putting your weight in it and expecting it to hold you up. The definition of trust is this. um, Assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, 
or truth of someone or something. You got that? It's hard to do when you're survival mode. I think we all can agree life is hard, isn't it? Yeah. Anybody living a perfect life out there? I want to see you afterwards. <laughs> but life is hard. But we can trust God and have enough faith to rely on him in all of our circumstances because we know he has a plan for us. The scriptures tell us the truth about this. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it tells us, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. So I had accepted Christ, but now that December I was willing to trust him because I was at my, I was in desperation. I didn't know what else to do. And you know, when I think about the aspect of, you know, belief compared to trust, it reminds me of, of, of Jesus' brother, James, right? When he says, faith without works is dead. I, I, I think that's kind of the concept. It's, it's one thing to believe in Jesus. It's another thing to believe that He's got a dream for you. It's something totally different to actually trust him and move towards that or to actually take action that would cause you to move towards that dream or towards that relationship. That, that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm so big on spiritual disciplines. It's one thing to believe in Jesus. It's another thing to trust him and understand and say, I'm going to get into his word. Why? Because that's what he's called me to do. I think a lot of people in today's church believe in Jesus and are thankful that he has saved them from hell, but they don't really trust him. And the reason why I say that is because we keep doing the same thing we've always done, expecting something different. Of course, we know that as the definition of insanity, right? And then we wonder why the life seems so crazy. So you're at this point where you, you like God's speaking to you in that December of 86, and you're saying, okay, this scripture, he's, he's speaking straight to you, that number one, you got to trust him. The second part of the scripture that you were talking about. Lean not on your own understanding or on your own ways. You see, my way, when you, when you live with a, a husband that has addictions and especially alcoholism, my way was controlling the narrative you know, I, I hid things from my parents about what was going on. I hid things from f what friends I did have. I had very few, but, you know, I, I had a job. I had a great job, praise God, that I was able to provide because we couldn't count on that other paycheck making it home. But I was always trying to fix it, trying to keep up appearances when necessary um, to hide what was going, going on behind closed doors compromising my faith and my standards just to keep the peace. And the results of that, of my um, understanding, my ways, the results of that was just I became the biggest enabler of them all. As long as I kept it covered up, as long as I kept calling in to yellow freight for him so that, because he couldn't make it that day, as long as I kept hiding and covering it up, I became the enabler. There was no reason for him to change. Um, 
God showed me I had to lean on him and his word. You know, leaning on his understanding means we have to be in the word. You can't, you can't trust a God and know his ways if you don't study his word, if you're not in his word daily. And I had not been doing that. Quit you right honest. So um, when faced with the choices, I knew I had to do what was right. I had to be in his word. And I had to lean on his understanding. And that took me to the third point. In all your ways, acknowledge him. All is all. It doesn't say in some of your ways acknowledge him or in the ways that you want to acknowledge him. What does it say? In all your ways acknowledge him. Well, God dealt with me about that too. He showed me that trust meant relinquishing my ways and my understandings and my solutions and to let go and let God I had been raised, I knew what was right and what was wrong because I'd been raised in a godly home. But that night I committed to God that I would live for him. I would make decisions based on what I knew was right concerning my safety and the safety of my children and their future. And that I told God, it didn't matter. This, this was a big revelation for me because, you know, we, we had a nice house. I had a good job. We had nice cars, you know. Um, but all those things faded. I said, you know, God, if you'll just, I'm going to trust you. And he gave me a peace and an understanding that it didn't matter if I lost the house or we lost the house. It didn't matter if we lost the cars. It didn't matter if I lost my job because sometimes he would show up there and cause trouble, you know. Um, It didn't matter. I trusted God, and I knew in my heart that he would provide and take care of me and my boys regardless. If I had to work at McDonald's and we had to live Lord knows where, in Lord knows what, I knew he would take care of us. And that brought me the peace and trust that I needed. The second part of that, I started tithing my money. Because the scriptures tell us, even following uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, there's Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 that tell you to bring your wealth to God. It relates to crops and that sort of thing back then. But honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce, that your barns would be full. In other words, he's going to supply your needs in whatever you need if you're faithful to him. It was just another act of faith in my response. I could not, I could not of good conscience tithe his money if I did get it. I didn't think that was right because he wasn't a believer but I, I, I knew if I'm going to pursue God and his ways, I need to tithe my money. And I started doing that. That was an act of obedience. Um, and so just so we're, 
we're, you're trekking with us because, again, what, what we're wanting to do is to help you to say, okay, what, what's the relationship between myself and my dreams and my God and my God-sized dreams, and how do I make those things take place? How do I make sure I don't stay in this situation that I'm in that I may feel stuck, I may feel struggled, I may feel... And, and these scriptures literally lays out a simple biblical foundation of what to do. And it started with moving from belief to trust. Like I'm telling you, I, on a regular basis, I have people call me, and the thing that they are struggling with is not a belief in Jesus. They just have a trust issue. They believe in God, but they don't trust him enough to do what he says for them to do. We call it obedience. And then the aspect that we're going to turn around and we're not going to lean on our own way. Scripture tells us what? There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads in destruction. And it's like, you know, I'm going to get into his word. I'm going to start learning his word and let his word speak into my life. Because if I want the God-sized dream in my life, then I better learn who God is that holds my dream and learn what, he, what his word says and be able to do those things. And then acknowledge him in all my ways. And, and what my mother was talking about is, is the aspect of, of one of those areas was tithing for her. And that's not something we usually talk about a whole lot on a Sunday morning. But it's one of those things that, here's the point. You can't choose what areas you're going to say, oh, yeah, I believe in God's word here. But ah, I'm not going to, you know, like, Lord, I like this part. You know, I, I like the part where you bless me. Whew. You know, expand my territory. Prayer Jabez. Like, I like that part. Well, I don't. Now, this part, you know, I don't know how that got in the Bible. That really shouldn't have been there, you know? Oh, I like the part that, that you know, the respect and love and, and honor your mother and father because having children, man, I, oh, but the pray for my enemies. Well, I mean, I, I, that's, you know, that's a little bit. And what he's saying is if you're going to go accomplish your dreams, it's, you, you're going to, you're not only going to lean on your own understanding, you're going to avoid that, you're going to lean on his understanding, but you're going to acknowledge him in all of your ways. Now, the thing that, that's the irony there is all of this stuff is starting to take place in December. And I'm telling you from a, from a child's perspective, like, I didn't know all this was going on. You know, I, I, we, we just, you know, when, when we needed to eat, we, we found something in the fridge, you know? I mean, I was a latchkey kid, you know? Because mom had to work. So, I mean, I, we had a guy named Mr. Sutton that lived next door because sometimes I couldn't get the door open. <laughs> and I'd be like, can you help me? I mean, I just, I little. And, you know, it just is one of those things. But it, but it wasn't anything wrong. But then there was a, another part of this. Yeah. You know, that December I had no idea what God's plan was for us. I just knew I had to trust him, right? Hindsight. I had no idea what we were going to be walking through within nine months. Both of my boys were conceived in December and born in, De in September. As this worked out, God's idea was conceived in me in December, and by September, it was over. Now, four months into it, in April, we had another crisis. Um, he had return late, you know, in the wee hours of the morning. There was some, you know, typical stuff going on. Um, I knew it wasn't going to end well. He was actually cutting on his, on his wrist and stuff. You know, I saw a little blood, but it wasn't anything to worry about. But I had gotten in the car to take the drunk man home that he had brought home with him and thinking, I got to get out of here. 
Thomas was at grandmother's house. Mickey was asleep. He, he didn't, Mickey was, set, was okay. I knew he'd be okay, but I thought, I got to get out of here. So this isn't going to end well. So I was in the car with the drunk man in the back seat, going to take him and take him home as I was instructed when he came around the side of the house. Well, you're just leaving me here to die. And he took a knife and started slashing at me. Well, a little switch went off, and I'm like, I am out of here. I, I convinced him that I was just doing as he said, to take this person home. I went and kind of pushed him out <laughs> at the road where he lived and went straight to the police department. Um, they took the complaint, I guess you will, and then I went to a an older couple that were family friends across, that lived across the street from where I grew up. He was a veterinarian, and he tended to my wounds. And then she and I, it was quite comical as I flash back and look at it, she and I went and staked out the house to see where Mickey was and what was going on. He was safe. By this time, Dwight's mother was there because he knew I wasn't coming back. And what he'd done was wrong. And we... Once we saw, scoped it out and saw that it was safe, we got in and got Mickey and went back and spent the night at the friend's house that I had sought shelter with. Um, that started the beginning. But you see, I, I, wasn't, I knew what I had to do. God showed me what was right, what was wrong. I knew I had to get out. I had to get my kids out. We... Um, and it started the process. I knew I had to create the crisis that I couldn't cover up anymore, couldn't change the narrative. I had to allow him to deal with the consequences of his decisions. And so uh, that began. I, I did go to the judge and file for an order of protection. And I saw a lawyer, and I filed for a divorce. It wasn't that I was, had any intentions of marrying anybody else or wanting anybody else. I just knew I had to create the crisis. And this, you know, this is my standard. This is what I'll live with. This is what I won't live with. Um, and I think a part of that, if, if we can pull the scripture back up, it's, it's if we do these first three things, then there's a promise. Yes. You know, and the promise is, is that God will direct your path. Yes. You know, if I will trust in the Lord with all of my heart and lean not on my own understanding and in all my ways acknowledge him. And then look what it says. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct or make straight your path. Mm-hmm. And, and, and even though, and, and I want to be real careful here, I, I, don't, I don't know that some of the things that were choices that my dad made were what, that wasn't God doing that. Those were consequences for his choices. But what I do know is that in a nine-month period, and you'll hear the rest of this in just a second, that what started out as a, okay, this is what God's called me to do because my dream is to have peace and to have security and to have life again, that nine months, all of a sudden now, there was life again. Mm-hmm. And so just, just for time's sake, um, we, we, we go through that situation and I remember, you know, dad went to a life camp, I believe mm-hmm. it was, or life retreat. And 
actually made a commitment to the Lord and cleaned up, but, um, but everything went. And then in September, nine months after right. that December, uh, tell yes. a little bit. I had, um, well, I had dove deeper into God's ways. I mean, every time the church doors were open, we were there. We were Sunday morning. We had Sunday night services then. We had Wednesday night prayer meeting. I joined the choir because I grew up in youth choir. I love to sing praises. I, I, you know, if it was something going on, we were there. Yeah, I got to say this. I remember when she went through this change. Because all of a sudden she's like, come on, we're going to church. And I'm like, it's Sunday night. And she's like, yeah, they got church. And he's like, hey, I'm picking you up after school. We're going to be at church on Wednesday night. And I was like, Wednesday? And I'm sitting there going, like, they would have those little, like, people come in, and they would be there for a, a revival. For the, and, we were the, and I'm sitting there going, like, oh, I'm going, like, man, what's going on? Like, this is kind of cool. But at the same time, I'm like, like, we're, we're at church all the time. Like, we would, uh, it went from, like, just going to a service, because that's all my dad would allow, to all of a sudden, we were at Sunday school, we were at worship, we were at discipleship training. She's asking me to be a part of youth choir, which that's funny because you hear me speak, I can't sing. And, uh, but it's just one of those, and I'm just sitting there going like, what in the world is going on with mom? Because all of a sudden, we are at church all the time. I couldn't get enough of being with God's people. And if you're in a crisis, you know why. That's just what it was. Uh, but, okay, now we're in September, nine months later, September the 7th. It's late at night. The phone rings. It's him. That conversation, to keep it short, ended in a very angry, on his side, a very angry hang-up. Fear ran through my body. I'm thinking, oh, Cole, oh, you know, Lord, Lord, you gotta, you got to help us here. you got to direct us. He's, he's, you're going to read about us in the paper tomorrow. I got up. Someone had loaned me a gun, which... Randy Ruffner will tell you, I don't particularly care for firearms, but I got up, found that gun, and I loaded it because I thought he was on his way over there to harm us. When the phone rang again, and this time, after a simple question, which I said, I, I, can't, I can't say I can do that at this point. It's going to take time. It's going to take time. The next thing I heard was a gunshot and silence. I ended up getting in the car and going to Madison where he was living with his mother in an apartment and found the police there with the yellow tape already strung around and he had committed suicide. Now God is not the author of that. Please understand, God is not the author of that. That is from Satan. But God allows things to happen. He allows things to happen in our lives, sometimes for our own good. I think Mickey, I know myself, and even his brother Thomas will tell you, those next couple of days, we slept like we've never slept before because we had peace. We knew God had us. We knew that we were safe and that nothing could ever come, you know, happen to us again. We had that peace. And I can remember her waking us up and going into the living room and sitting on this couch. And, and she was like, I need to tell you something about your dad. And I'm immediately like, like fear, you know, like, like we got to get out of here. We got to go back to the safe house that he doesn't know where we stay. So we just can't let him get to us. Because we'd seen some things around the house that he'd been dabbling and doing different things. 
And, and my mother was like, no, 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 you don't, no. And then she said, you know, your, your father has just killed himself. And, and I want to say this very carefully, because you had all the emotions of losing your father. But for the first time in my life, I wasn't scared. It was one of the craziest moments of my life, and I didn't know Jesus at the time. But all I knew was, like, I, I remember going back to my room after crying for a while. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning and laying down in that bed. And you know what? I didn't notice any cars driving by. I wasn't waking up when lights were hitting my window. It was, it was, it was the, it was unexplainable. Mm-hmm. And God provided that peace. He provided for us financially through several different ways. Um, he, he, you know, I had that drink, that that desire. You know, I was content. I was fine. I was content. I was ready to live the rest of my life, take care of my kids, do you know, my church thing. I'm good. But God, God remembered. <laughs> Ten years earlier, all those services that I sat in our church where they had a marriage ceremony, you know, and if your husband wasn't there with it, you just had to sit there. You know, it was like a renewal of vows and things and tears in my eyes thinking, why can't I have a Christian husband? Why can't I have a godly father? God remembered that. And a week from tomorrow... This man here, Randy Ruffner, and I celebrate the 35th anniversary of our first date. God put us together in church. I didn't know him. I wasn't looking for him. Our kids were teenagers at this time. He has two girls. I had two boys. They, at a Super Bowl party, they put him up to talking to me. And the rest is history. It took us You're over... You're welcome. <laughs> it took us over a year and a half or better to finally... Uh, realize that we could take the step and get married. But God provided not only a godly husband and father for me, but for my children. You see, I wanted a role model. I wanted a godly role model. He brought Randy into our lives who had an alcoholic husband. I mean husband. Alcoholic father. His father used to beat him. He grew up very poor. I mean, the things that he had experienced... He could relate to my sons. And God used him in their lives to undo some of that stuff. You know, that they, you know, they learned what, it's like, what it means to love your wife. He, they learned what it means to respect your wife and to treat her like a lady. You know, they, they learned that sort of stuff from Randy. Uh, we built our relationship on godly principles from the get-go. I was not about to make that mistake again um, because I'm still trusting in the Lord with all my heart. I'm still leaning on his understanding. I'm trying to acknowledge him in all my ways and trusting that he's going to guide my path. Well, we uh, went through Financial Peace, uh, the book that Dave Ramsey has. Uh, we, we prayed. We served in church. By God's grace and with intentionality, we got out of debt over a period of time uh, before he had to retire. Um, and through that, God used us 
in so many ways. Uh, we were able to take our vacations and do mission work in South Dakota together. I mean, this is a dream come true for me. We've been to Romania, Peru, Cuba doing evangelism and eye clinics, things like that. Randy's built a church, helped build a church in Africa. I mean, God blessed us and our commitment to serve him and in turn has allowed us to bless others with what he's blessed us with. And that's, you know, even now, uh, I, I think about uh, part of this conference brought me to, oh, what am I dreaming for? You know, I'm, I'm kind of getting old now. Do, you, do old people still have dreams? You know, um, the answer to that is yes. <laughs> um, I still have children. I still have grandchildren that need Jesus. We serve in a church in Mount Juliet that was hit by the tornado three years ago. And we've just entered our new rebuilt worship center. They need us to lead and have vision for our church as we grow and we try to serve our community. I want to share with you my most precious, this will be my final, my most precious, uh, what I call... um, dream. And that was for a 13-year-old boy that um, four days before his 12th, before his 13th birthday, his dad, he lost his dad to suicide. That's my son, Mickey. As I, as this, I saw him going down the wrong road, making the wrong choices, you know, sometimes our lives, when we live like this, they're cyclical. We let our children live in these types of lives, and they learn to repeat that kind of behavior. And I had such a burden, and I cried out to God. We were on a, we were chaperoning a youth choir trip, and I was talking to the youth on that bus and hearing all the things going on in the schools and the drugs. I mean, I was just flabbergasted at what I was hearing, and my heart mother's heart was so burdened for this 13 year old by now he was I think 14 or 15 and I prayed to God my dream for him is that he would come be called to you you will draw him to you he'll be drawn into these Christian youth and that somehow he'll serve you through that God answered that dream and that mother's prayer is only he can't and I have no explanation for that other than God and honoring a desire of my heart like I said we still have great-grandchildren now and grandchildren that need Jesus and that's part of our dream too is to see them come to know the Lord to see our grandchildren follow in his ways and acknowledge him and serve him. You know, you're probably wondering kind of, you know, what's the point, right? Like, yes, you get a little bit of my background and a little bit of the way I was brought up. And, and your question is, well, what's this got to do with Dreamers Conference? What's this got to do with, with me? What has this got to do with us? What has this got to do with us moving forward? What is this? And, and what I wanted to do is when my mother was telling me this stuff, I was like, you know, 
Back in October, I told you guys that I probably haven't done a good job in getting you guys ready for end-time prophecy, but that I would. Like, I, I, would, I, would, I would start teaching you so that you can be prepared because the days of wickedness are coming, and they're going to keep increasing, and there's a lot of things coming up. And, and the amazing thing to me is that when we look at God's Word, it really hinges around obedience, and then the things around God's Word is what happens if you're obedient or not obedient. Like, we get lost in God's word and understanding it all when, when most of God's word is the result of a people group when they were disobedient and a result of an individual when they listened to God and were obedient. But the obedience is the center theme of the whole thing. And you say, well, what, what's, what's the key? Well, it starts with love your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. And he says, oh, in the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's a starting point. You say, well, how do I get to the dreams? Well, she just laid out for you literally God's path to all your dreams. If, if you will move from belief and trusting him with all your heart. And then not lean on your own understanding. But start getting in his word and gaining his understanding. And then in all your ways, acknowledge him. I mean, I, I, we, we literally, in some of the notes I highlighted, I just, she had, all means all. This is not a legalistic, be perfect type message. I'm just saying all means all. Like I, I get so uh, consumed with how many times in my own life that when I'm the benefactor, I'm all in. But if I don't feel myself as the benefactor, I may not just be all in. But I wanted you to hear this story and hear this simple process because honestly, I believe it's where we are as a church. I believe there's a large group of people whose dreams are hinging on yours. You say, well, I don't know how. Well, I'm gonna give you a hint. You enabling your life to stay where it is is not the answer. You're just gonna find yourself frustrated, hurting, and wanting more. And my prayer is that it doesn't get to a crisis like what we went through. You say, well, how can I avoid that crisis? Well, maybe you've heard this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe so you don't miss out. Also, if you want to help support reaching more people with these life-giving messages, visit crossroadscommunitychurch.com slash give. Once again, thanks for listening.